Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. And man, what an electric card UFC London was last night. I mean, obviously, we had Tom Aspinall in the main event going out there, submitting Alexander Volkov in the first round. You had Arnold Allen with a career-defining performance against Dan Hooker. Patty the Batty doing what he does best, uh, giving everybody a scare in the first couple seconds and then going on to finish his opponent. Molly McCann with a knockout of the year. And we got so much to unpack about this card. Um, it's been, it, it was just such a pleasure to watch. Arguably one of the best uh, fight cards of the year thus far. And I mean, if it's any indication, man, I mean, we still got the Piotr Yan versus Aljamain Sterling card coming up. Um, so, man, I just cannot wait to see what the rest of UFC in 2022 is going to look like. But today, all focus is on UFC London because it went down last night at the O2 Arena in London, England. And, man, did, did, the, did the fighters deliver? They sure did. So, uh, my boy uh, Uncle Weezy said, such a great card. What's up, Dan? Hey, Uncle Weezy, you want to hop in here with me, man? Uh, I posted the link on my on my uh, Twitter, so the link to join this call is here. So I'm, you know, having some five minute appearances from from all kind of, from all, all my friends on here. So you're more than welcome to hop in with me. But uh, first off, let's talk about this Tom Aspinall fight. So this was super impressive. There was obviously a lot of narratives going into this. What happens if Tom Aspinall goes past the first round? I mean. It, talking about as if it's like a foregone conclusion that he loses if it goes past the first round. We don't know if he does or doesn't slow down, but based on what I saw yesterday, that was a very mature performance. I know it was only three minutes and 45 seconds, but what I saw was the sign of a future top five guy and the sign of the emerging style of these new heavyweights that are really going to take over for years to come, man. I mean, you saw with Cyril Gan how... Now, let me backtrack a little bit. You guys remember back in the day how it was these guys like Cain Velasquez who were the faster men at heavyweight, but Cain Velasquez was always the smaller guy. Now you got these guys like Tom Aspinall, Cyril Gaon, who are like six foot five, but they're moving around like welterweights. You don't see that kind of speed. You don't see that kind of movement from the heavyweight division too often with guys that size. So it's truly, uh, it's just heartwarming to see like, uh, what the sports evolved into man and as far as this performance is concerned i mean tom aspinall literally showed all facets of his game in under four minutes i mean on the feet the he was lighting him up the speed difference was so apparent um but man the head movement you all saw when volkov threw that head kick how uh aspinall was just like shoot you know just did a nice little pull back and man his counters are on point i love the head movement what about the takedowns that first takedown that body lock takedown took him down started busting him up with elbows opened up the cut and then volkov actually got back up and it's interesting because with a lot of not with everybody but with a lot of people you question like okay what happens you put that energy into getting the takedown you do some damage and the guy just gets back up and he's not discouraged at all you wonder is aspinall at all is he going to be huffing and puffing is he going to be feeling like oh man i just took him down was you know teeing off on those elbows and now the guy's still here right in front of my face that didn't discourage him at all you saw that slip he had to the next takedown, which was a double leg. I mean, that head movement, the timing, the way he puts together all elements of MMA. Uh, I'm truly impressed because, like I said, we saw the calf kicks. We saw the punches. We saw the takedowns. We saw the ground and pound. And to cap it all off, 
we saw that black belt in jujitsu to go out there and submit a guy like Alexander Volkov, not just to do it in the first round, but to do it with a straight arm lock. I mean, that's something you don't often see. And just to put it into perspective, I have to scroll back all the way to, to 2010 when <laughs> that's the last time Alexander Volkov was submitted. Interestingly enough, by Maxine Grishin, who's uh, in the UFC right now, too. So, I mean, Volkov's not a guy that's just some walk in the park. Volkov's not the kind of guy that's going to take a knee for nobody. So it, it, it's, it was truly an eye-opening performance. And I kind of feel like you can never win with people. And what I mean by that is this. You know, with Arnold Allen, everybody's criticizing him for Oh, he just scrapes by these decisions. And with Tom Aspinall, everyone's criticizing him. Oh, he doesn't go past the first round. So it's like, like, guys, like every situation is different. Like you, so to me, it's like, I feel like you can never win with people. If someone goes the distance like Arnie does from time to time, people hate on him. If someone like Tom Aspinall doesn't go past the first round, everybody hates on him. So to me, it's like, you got to take it on a case by case basis and you got to look at the skills we have at hand. So with Tom Aspinall, I mean, I think it's without a doubt that this guy is going to move up to the top five of the division right now. And the challenges that we have ahead of him, I mean, off the top of my head, I can mention them, but why not, why don't I just fucking pull up the rankings right now and see these kind of guys that we got there? Because I mean, you're looking at now, I was going to say there's no more easy fights. Alexander Volkov's not an easy fight, but I mean, you're, you're looking at the Derek Lewis's, the Curtis Blaze, the Tatui Vasas, the Stipe Miocic's, the Cyril Gans, and most importantly, the king of the heavyweight division, uh, Francis Ngannou. So, I mean, he went out there, he called out Tatui Vasa. I think that's a great matchup for him. Tatui Vasa holds the number three spot on planet Earth. And uh, I would not mind seeing that be. Uh, his next fight. I, I did hear some rumblings about Stipe versus Tuivasa being the next fight, but that never that hasn't been signed as far as I'm concerned. So um fuck it. Do Aspinall versus uh versus Tuivasa. So I got a couple guests lined up today. Uh we're gonna, you know, briefly talk to some badass guys on here and see what they had to say about it. So first up, I'd like to bring in Andrew Gombas. Andrew, what's up, buddy? What's up, bro? It's good to talk to you. Likewise, man, it's your first time on Half the Battle, so welcome to Half the Battle. Oh, I appreciate you having me. Oh, uh, the pleasure's all mine. So, by by chance, when you were in the lobby there, did you hear anything I said? Yeah, I started to hear the um the Aspinall um I got caught the back end of the Aspinall comments. I agree with you. I I think um two of us would be a good fight next. Heard some of those rumblings about uh, Steve Avers two of us, but Aspinall he he's clearly the real deal. There's no denying that now. I mean, as a former wrestler yourself, you see that first body lock takedown, which was very impressive. And oftentimes, one of the things I like to talk about is, uh, firstly, can, can you turn your volume down? Because I can, I can hear myself uh, on yours. Uh, but yeah, one of the things I like to talk about, you know, like that makes these guys like Bryce Mitchell stand out. These guys like uh, Marab Davalishvili, Bilal Muhammad, all these guys that Nick Maximov, they could just shoot takedown after takedown after takedown. The first few might get stuffed, but these guys aren't discouraged. And that's a style that's going to win a lot of fights going forward. And what I liked from seeing a heavyweight like Tom Aspinall was the diversity in his takedown attacks. I mean, to go out there, get that body lock takedown, you take him down, you start opening him up with those elbows. And Volkov, being the veteran he is, gets back up. And for a lot of guys, that's discouraging. It's like, oh, shit, I had him right there. 
and now he's back up. And you know Volkov's a very intimidating guy. He's smiling at you the whole time. He has no fear. And the head movement that Aspinall showed, that slip he had to, to time that beautiful blast double, I mean – I don't I like for a, a less than four minute performance. I don't know what else he could have shown, Andrew. Yeah, I, that's honestly an angle of the. And again, sorry about the um, the audio. I am actually not in my normal setup right now. I usually have a nice microphone and stuff. But um, Aspinall, I, I didn't. I didn't think that the wrestling would play a big factor in this fight. Like Aspinall took down Arlovsky and he submitted him. So it was kind of in the back of my mind. But when I was breaking down this fight, I thought it would, would primarily be a striking fight. And Volkov's not easy to get down. I mean, we've seen guys try to take him down before. It's not easy to take him down. It's not easy to hold him down. And he went out there and did his thing in the grappling. And like we knew he had the BJJ credentials, but hadn't seen it that much out of the Arlovsky fight. Now I know he's a very well-rounded fighter. And um, yeah, just it's very impressive to see a guy dispose of Volkov like that because we've seen Volkov fight so many high-level guys. We've seen him win fights. We've seen him lose competitive fights. Like even the surreal gone fight went five rounds and I, I think Volkov won around either way. It was um, a, a more competitive performance than he had against Aspinall. So again, I, I just can't say enough good things about this kid. Yeah, uh, same. And I mean, we just talked about the wrestling. We talked about the jujitsu. I mean, one doesn't simply hit a straight arm lock against the guy like Volkov inside a cage fight in less than four minutes. That was beautiful. I mean, like I, like I was saying earlier, the last time someone tapped this guy out was actually in 2010 versus Maxime Grishin, who, uh, you know, shout out to him for cashing for both of us uh, against uh, Willie Knight not too long yeah. ago. And then you take it a step further in the striking element. Um, Look, we know about the speed. We know about the the movement, the footwork. Because like like I was talking about earlier, you know, it used to be a case in the heavyweight division where you got these guys like Cain Velasquez, who he was known for being the faster man, but he was always like the smaller guy. But to see these guys like Gan and Aspinall, who are six foot five, fucking bouncing around, no problem. Like, isn't isn't that just like a beautiful thing to see the evolution of the sport like that? Yeah, the, the perfect word was evolution. That's exactly the word I was going to use. It's crazy seeing how much the sport evolves in such a short period of time. And I mean, like at heavyweight now, we, we kind of have this new guard with the Surreal Gons and the Nganus and the Aspinalls. And we've kind of started to see like those um, Derek Lewis types, like the Andre Arlovsky types kind of seem to be on the backswing. And I, I shouldn't even put Derek Lewis in that category yet because he he just beat Chris Dawkins. So, um, but before he fought, Tuivasa, but you can even say Tuivasa is part of that new guard. He's been around a little bit longer, but his rise to the top of the heavyweight division seemed to happen overnight. Like I feel like just yesterday he was losing to Sergey Spivak, and now he's like one win away from a title shot. So it's funny how quick that stuff happens. No, it's great to see these young guys. They take their licks, and, and you know something that you've heard me talk about is that no one's exempt from that first L. And honestly, I find it to be a red flag when these guys are undefeated, unless your name is John Jones or Habib Nurmagomedov. No one's exempt from that first L. So, uh, yeah, and I think these guys got to pay their dues and show like what they're really made of. You look at a guy like Jamal Hill. I mean, that fight against Paul Craig could have made made or break or broke him. I mean, he comes out there those next two fights emphatically. I mean, look, I know Jimmy Crew as you know taking some l's and here and there but who the hell has ever handled jimmy crew like that i know johnny walker might not have the best chin johnny walker just went uh five rounds with uh tiago tiago dropped uh magomed and he, he didn't drop johnny walker like we all thought jamal hill was gonna get a first round ko but none of us thought he was gonna do it like that like so it's just pretty impressive what we've been seeing so man i think the future is bright and then obviously the whole talking point about Aspinall not going past the first round. What happens? I mean, look, obviously 
that's a valid point to bring up, but I don't really see any indication that, you know, this guy is just it's like it's a foregone conclusion that he's just going to gas out and slow down. I felt like he was pacing himself. And when you hear him talk, he's got a very good head on his shoulders. He's very open about his anxieties in the fight game. He even said stuff like, listen, I got the skills to compete with any of the top guys. Um, I just know I don't have the experience right now. Um, and like, what kind of fucking self-awareness is that? Isn't that the kind of stuff you like to hear from like a young up and coming prospect, Andrew? Yeah, I love to hear that. He's so aware of himself and his situation. But I think now, I mean, that Volkov win, if like that's got to give him all the confidence in the world to be able to fight any of those guys. Like I said earlier, I think Volkov has like 45 pro fights or something like that, and he's fought all those best guys in the division. We've seen, we saw how easily Tom Aspinall got him out of there yesterday. So I don't think that um, experience issue is going to be an issue. Excuse me, that experience is going to be an issue for much longer because he's he's done rounds with Volkov, with Arlovsky, with guys who have been there, done that. So I think now he's probably going to be even more dangerous with that level of confidence that comes from experience. 100%. And I'm excited to see what happens when a fight gets extended. I'm just curious, who is the guy that's going to extend him? But, you know, the only thing people point to is that Arlovsky fight that maybe kind of looked a little tired. But in my opinion, when you unload on a 50-strike combination on a dude and you're dead set that, okay, he's about to get out of there, the ref screaming, move fighter, move fighter. I mean, that's your chance to, hey, two more shots, we're going to get him out of there. So, for some reason, Arl Arlovsky survived, and you still see Aspinall go out there in that second round, land the takedown and get a nice little uh, rear naked choke to tap things off. So I like everything I see about this kid, and I can't wait to see what happens now that he's going to start fighting. I mean, Volkov's already the top echelon, but now we're breaking into the guys who you know are up there to potentially compete for the belt. Amen. Yeah, top, the top five's calling him, calling his name. Yes, sir. So before I let you go, because I got a couple other guests uh, waiting for, for me here, was there any other fights that really stood out that surprised you that you have a big take on? None that I really had a big take on. I think um, Arnold Allen had a really impressive performance. I, I bet Hooker there, and um, I, I had bet Allen in his last fight against Sadiq Yusuf, and I thought this would be a good spot sure. to get him. But Arnold Allen, I think, what, he's won eight or nine fights in a row now. So I, I think he's due for something big next. So I just wanted to give Arnold Allen a shout-out really quick. But, yeah, I, I think he's – Maybe. I mean, they fought on the same card yesterday, but I don't know if he'd be down. But Arnold Allen versus Ilya Tapiria could be something we see down the line as well, considering the, the schedules might line up because they both fought on yesterday's card. But I don't know if Allen would want that because he, he could probably get a bigger, um, a better ranked fight next. But we'll see. I mean, Tapori is a stud for sure. I I just kind of think that, you know, Arnie's, Arnie's earned that nine-fight win streak. I think he, yeah, you know, him and Cater kind of makes more sense right now. I'd um, be down for that for sure. And, and uh, but Taporia definitely needs to move back to 45s. I do agree with that. Uh, but as far as Arnie's concerned, man, I, I feel like he really flies under the radar. And one thing I was talking about, you can never win with people because with Arnold Allen, he gets criticized for going to decision. Aspinall gets criticized for not going past the first round. So it's like you, you truly cannot win with people. Like nothing's ever good enough. But from what I see from, from Arnie, I mean, I see a guy that goes out there and choked out Mads Brunel, who a lot of people hold in high regard as a grappler. I see a guy who went out there and dropped Sodiq Youssef, who 
I personally am very high on. Um, and then you saw what he did to Dan Hooker. One doesn't simply just get Dan Hooker out of there like that. Now, obviously, there's questions about the weight cut, about all the damage he sustained over the years. I mean, that's the reason I bet Arnold Allen at dog money. But he's also been my dark horse uh, for a very long time in that division. So I've always kind of been really high on him. And to me, you know, being a point fighter is not like a bad thing to me. Because, again, like I told you, we saw, we've saw we seen him tap out real legit grapplers we've seen them knock down real legit strikers and i've seen them go the full three round distance and land over 100 significant strikes in a fight so i literally like everything about arnold allen it's just that when you got a guy like him who can you know barely speaks two words doesn't quite get the hype uh that he deserves but i think maybe with a performance like this people are going to start to put some respect on his name yeah i mean how could you not like, like to your point people just don't dispose of dan hooker like that so arnold allen doing that in front of his home crowd in a co-main event slot i think people are going to start to pay attention now yeah so he wants cater cater wants him i think that makes all the sense in the world a june main event or maybe a pay-per-view co-main event i think that's the next step for arnie sign me up yes sir well andrew i appreciate you stopping by next time we'll do it for longer i got some people waiting for me but man uh keep killing it brother and i look forward to speaking with you soon cool bro thanks for having me take care absolutely you as well all right y'all so that's my boy andrew gombas doing his thing really cool dude so yeah but back to arnold allen man um I've been so damn impressed with this kid. And real quick, I want to bring in my buddy James, who was actually at the event last night. I got to hear about how electric that crowd was. So, James, welcome to Half the Battle for the first time, buddy. Hello, Dan. How you doing, bud? Doing absolutely phenomenal. So where in the UK are you from? Uh, so I'm from Reading. So it's about, say, an hour away from London. So for me, it weren't too bad. I mean, Reading and Leeds? London, if anyone knows bit of a nightmare but yeah it was uh not too far for us to go you've been to the reading and leds festival before yeah yeah definitely yeah i mean when you're from here it's kind of hard not to go to it <laughs> yeah what about some glastonbury uh i mean personally no but i've known a few people that are gone and yeah music festivals it's a bit of a big big culture thing really over it yeah, you know, you know, I'm showing off my little UK knowledge over here, my man. But, uh, see you know about it. <laughs> hey, but listen, man, we got rage over here this year, so we're looking forward to seeing them. <laughs> so, James, you were at the event last night, and I mean, I just want to know how electric the crowd was. I mean, listen, I know that at one point Gunnar Nelson kind of killed the mood, but right after that, Patty Pimblet. I mean. What was that walkout like? Because I kept hearing like all week about dude, like they weren't even talking about his performance. They were talking about the walkout that Patty Pimblet is going to have. Uh, what, what was your impression of that live? I mean, did you take it all in? I mean, being from England, you knew what to expect straight away. Uh, being a part of a Paddy Pimblet walkout is a surreal experience. I mean, especially if you're English yourself, because it's like a party atmosphere. I feel like that's when the UFC come to England, that's something that they get. They don't get anywhere else. It's very much with football culture over here. It's very much uh, everything is a celebration. And um, with him coming to the ring, it's very much a celebration uh, in that yesterday. And yeah, I mean, from start to finish the whole night, it's just a different atmosphere that you get from a UK crowd that you don't get from anywhere else. And I think... That's what makes it so special when they come over here. I mean, Dana White's already been talking about coming back over here again. He doesn't care what the schedule says, but he wants to come back to the UK again for a second time this year. And, you know, I feel like where we stay up till five in the morning every single week to watch these cards, when we do get these 
it's time for us to kind of let loose and be in there in that in that arena yesterday it's safe to say that it was uh definitely definitely a surreal atmosphere yeah uh, no doubt about it so what fight would you say stole the crowd the most like what had the biggest pop was it the I mean, walk out of patty was it the molly mccann finish i mean yeah it's gotta be molly mccann i mean i i had her going in by knockout going into the fight didn't think she'd do it that way i mean not a chance at all she looked absolutely spectacular and the whole crowd was behind her i mean it was going to happen anyway i mean the whole all of the uk guys really apart from jai herbert obviously came out on top and it was just a great great night for everyone i mean she even came back out for paddy pimlet's fight and just that everybody loved it it was one of them things where it's like not a single person in that crowd wanted to see anything different happen and the fact that i mean the last three guys all had first round finishes which it's great for England. Um, and yeah, I mean, Molly McCann coming through with that f spinning back fist, I mean, spinning elbow. I mean, she had to stole the show. It was 100% her. I mean, the belt thing may be a bit cringy, but <laughs> she definitely stole the show. I, I just want to know if homie got his replica belt back because I know when I go to UFC events and I go to the merch table, like the replica belts are like fucking over $500. So I just hope little man, like as I heard the dude was getting that belt signed by all the fighters. So for Molly to fucking take that piece of uh, memorabilia from him. And if he didn't get it back, like, I, uh, man, I'd feel, I feel I'm gutted for the kids. So young man, if you're watching, I hope you got your belt back. But if you didn't, maybe we can start a GoFundMe and buy him a new one or something, you know, but uh, James, before I get you out of here, man, you know, I saw the, the footage of after the fights, like, motherfuckers are jumping on cop cars and going crazy yeah. on the streets i mean what, what was what was that like how crazy was it i mean it, if you've been to a football game over here you just knew what to expect and it just felt like a football atmosphere i mean soccer should i say uh, talking on here but yeah it was just that's what we bring to the table really it's all about i don't know like the culture over here is very much a release like everybody's such a working class person in the uk and you get that atmosphere when you're at the ufc i mean over here the ufc is a sport where you got a lot of casuals i mean with conor mcgregor he's someone that you know translated across to us really well because obviously he's like a hometownish kind of guy and you know brought in a lot of casual fans and when you go to these events sometimes you catch them there and you're like okay these guys they watch the prelim fights and they're like, who's this? Who's that? And it's like, all right. And this is what you want to get them to be more, I don't know, diehard almost, or a bigger fan of the UFC and guys translating across in these prelim fights. I mean, to me, the only bad fight on that card was the Gunnar Nelson fight. But I mean, we all knew that going in, what Gunnar Nelson was going to do. Gunnar Nelson's going to, going to, going to, going to Nelson. Um, but yeah, look, I think in general, it's just the UK. Like, that's just what you get and what you expect. I mean, I think Dana White said, if you've never been to a UK card before, you need to get yourself down there. And I mean, for me, constantly going there every year or, well, whenever they come over here, like three years it's been, you have to do it. You absolutely have to do it. it was, last night was the best atmosphere I'd seen at a UFC event since I've started going to them. And I've been going to them for nearly 10 years now since they've been coming over here. Like, for me... It was the best one and it's all tribute to paddy the baddie really the guys the liverpudlians they they just knew how to stole the show 
Yes, sir. So before I get you out of here, any last takeaways? I mean, you were the man at the arena. Uh, you got to experience that electrifying crowd. Um, like, let's just put it in context. All nine finishes got bonuses. So, I mean, it must have been one of the most epic electric fight cards you've ever seen in all your years watching the sport. Anything else that we need to know for all of us that weren't in there? I think it's all about Makayev. I think for me, look, I know there's a lot of doubts going into it. I mean, for he's sure. got the greatest amateur record in the history of MMA or something done like that. Look, amateur fights don't mean 100% as a deal. But for me, he's proved it time and time out. And you can only beat what's in front of you. And I mean, what he did to Cody Durden was absolutely stunning. I mean, caught him with a flying knee, which I don't think anyone saw coming, really. And then he choked him out. I mean, look, it's 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 going to be controversial, but I think, I mean, it's not controversial because a lot of people have been saying it, but he's definitely going to become a top five guy at some point for me. And obviously backing him, being a UK guy, obviously I'm going to want to see it, but I think he's going to be one of the next champions at Flyweight. I mean, he's got the wrestling he's starting to evolve with the striking it's just a case of a matter of time i mean he's the youngest fighter on the roster as well we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves but yeah for me it's just it's just a matter of time yeah i mean that performance blew me away i mean i've seen cody Duren's entire career and no one's ever done him like that even the fights he's lost he's had moments in all of them he didn't have a single moment in this one so props to mokayev i mean that was very very impressive the kids got the confidence the age now it's just about you know when you give a 21 year old that's is he 21 or is he like 19 uh, how fucking old is he just turned 22 okay when you give a 22 year old a 50k bonus um you know you just got to make sure he keeps a you know his head on his shoulders he's never seen money like that in his life and um just got to make sure that you know he doesn't go off the deep end but if he keeps his head on his shoulders man um based off what i saw last night because going into it to me when your biggest talking point is your amateur career that's a massive red flag for me because like to quote alan iverson like well, we talking about practice like you know what i'm saying man so to me i was just like yeah okay let's see it under the bright lights of the ufc octagon well under the bright lights of the ufc octagon he dropped and submitted a guy that's never been dropped um the guy who has been submitted but you have to work to submit him i mean when jimmy flick submitted him jimmy flick was taking a whooping when this guy i think i forgot the guy the guy's name that submitted him like a long ass time ago but that dude was getting whooped by dirt and, and was a it was a comeback finish so to actually get him out of there clean kill like there's like normally when fighters take a loss there's things to to unpack like Oh, I could have done this better. I could have done that better. That wasn't the case here. This was all Mokayev. So much respect to him. And the again, charisma, before I well, get you out of here, oh, go ahead, please. The charisma as well on him. I mean, right. Very, to go very confident. See in his post-fight interview, like he knew how to try and win the crowd over. And I think, you know, with the talking, he's got the package. And well, he might come to regret saying it in a few years' time, but you know. I think he's got the total package, man, to become a bit of a star. And, you know, the flyweight division is one of the most exciting divisions in the UFC now. And you've got another guy to add to that list. Yes, sir. And real quick, someone messaged me saying my audio was a little off. Can you hear me fine? I can hear you perfect, mate. Okay, good, 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 good. All right. So lastly, anything else? Like I said, you were the guy there. Like this is probably one of the most epic events you've ever seen. Um, anything else you want to tell me? I mean, I was there in the building three years ago for Till Masvidal. And, How did they compare? Know, 
this one just blew it completely out the water. I mean, when you look at cards comparison as well, this is one of the better UK cards I think we've had for a while. I mean, in terms of European talent as well now, I think we've got a lot better in terms of the last three years. I mean, even if you look at people like Jai Herbert, I mean, look, the kid got beat, but he was putting it on to Poria and I think he did quite well. And uh, what did he drop him twice or uh, rock him twice? What yeah. role rocked him once and dropped him twice? I mean, you haven't really seen Toporia go in trouble that much in the octagon. And I thought fair play to him. And he's probably one of the bottom of the barrel guys that we've got over here. I mean, I've got to say a shout out to Paul Craig as well. You've got to say fair play. I mean, the man was on the verge of retirement, literally like two seconds away from retiring. And he's now riding, what, a five-fight win streak, six-fight win streak, something like that. and Against real dudes. Yeah. And I mean, look, Nikita Krilov, when he obviously first, it never really lived up to the hype as Krilov, but... You know, to still submit him, you got to say fair play to him. And I mean, what's he calling Anthony Smith out next? I think that's a good fight to make. I think he's Smith's always like that gatekeeper type of role now. And I think with Paul Craig, I wouldn't say he's a title contender, but if he's able to beat Anthony Smith, he's definitely won away. I mean, look what he did to Jamal Hill. Jamal Hill, in my opinion, the rematch will probably see a different outcome. But look, he was able to go in there and hand him, I think it was his first loss, right? you have to say fair play and Ankaliyev's first loss too. Yeah. He turned his career around massively. Beat Ankaliyev, beat, uh, beat uh, Jamal Hill. You just got to have nothing but respect for him. Yes, sir. And what was the crowd reaction to that uh, Paul Craig submission? Everyone loved it. I mean, it was so quick. He was able to get his legs up so fast. I mean, he was getting absolutely battered. <laughs> like, he was getting smashed on the floor and then all of a sudden them legs fro thrown up. And before you knew it, Krilov's tapping on the mat. And that was it. It was all over. I mean, it's safe to say a few beers were thrown up in the air throughout the night. I mean, <laughs> that's I what I was wondering. With me. Oh, mate, I took my coat with me. And all of a sudden, I was drenched in beer by the end of the right. main event. I was like, how does this happen? Like, nah, it shouldn't be happening. I mean, like I said, you get it at football. You expect it at football. But when I was at a UFC event, it's never happened like that before. And it was something completely different that was brought completely different. Yes, sir. Well, James, I do appreciate your time. I'm glad you had an amazing night. And uh, here's to many more UFC UK events as electrifying and epic as last night's was, man. So I appreciate your time, buddy. Um, if you want to tell them where to follow you, go ahead. And uh, if not, we'll speak soon. I mean, I'll have to find my Twitter quick. <laughs> I mean, for me, I don't really mind. I'm just glad to be here, man. Just happy to speak to you. It's been a while. I say we've been chatting for a few years now. And yeah, it's good to finally say hello. Like, uh, James Higgins 316 if you want to follow me I mean I used to post my bets on there but ain't really been doing that no more but yeah follow me if, if you like a random kid from the UK liking the Chicago Bulls I mean come shout me <laughs> well you know I'm an ATL Hawks fan but you know what man uh, much respect to you buddy look forward to speaking again and I'm glad you had a blast last night I'll talk to you again soon then cheers all right buddy take care now we're going to get in my boy Gordo Gambles. Hey, you know, this is a man of his word right here. We made a shoey bet. Listen, I made like three shoey bets last night, so I don't remember which one we made. What was ours again? Was main, the event. main event. Main yeah. event. Okay, so, yeah, I had Asmal, you had Volkov, your man or your word. Like, so when I did that shoey bet on the Tagir versus Tim Elliott fight, like, it took me like two days to, like, post it, like, my, my dude over here did it, like, within an hour. So much respect to you. And for everyone asking... He's of the legal age in Canada where he lives, so it's all good. Uh, no how's worries. it going, buddy? It's nice to hey. meet you for the first time. 
pleasure as well. Thanks for having me on. And let me just say there was no better card to do a Shubi to. Like I was super happy to do it yesterday just because it was so electrifying. It was such a good card to watch. So it, it was it was fun. Uh, I was actually on the same side as you. So it was a, it was a winner, win both sides. Either I make some money on Aspinall or I'd, I'd do a Shubi. Or sorry, or you do a Shoey. So it, it was fun to watch and it, uh, it worked out well. That's a great attitude you got there, young man. So that's awesome. What was uh, your couple favorite fights performances? I mean, what was your takeaways from this card? Well, you did a great job breaking it down and your guests beforehand as well. It was a pleasure watching. But uh, I think what we need to talk about more is that Taporia fight, really. We, we were able to see him face a little bit of adversity. And I know a guy in Jai Herbert who hasn't had the most experience in, or sorry, the best experience in the UFC facing killers. He's he's able to go out there and show that Taporia is not perfect. But uh, when a lot of people hating on um, Taporia getting dropped and showing some uh, holes in his game plan, I actually like that for Taporia. He was able to fight against the adversity, fight against the odds, recover. We were able to see some things we haven't seen from him recently. And I think that goes to show that especially if you get his weight cut under control that he may be even more of a problem than people think i know that a lot of people were were on the fact that he got dropped his chin's not perfect but he recovered so fast and i think that was a, a really fun fight to watch definitely got me on the edge of my seat with those taporia bets in hand but it, that, that fight was one i think that not a lot of people are talking about and uh, i think more people should be now let's talk about it right now i mean listen this kid taporia I mean, you can't you can't criticize the balls. You can't criticize the heart, the chin, the will to win, the power, the accuracy, um, the ground game. I mean, I think he's got a lot of great things, but I also think that we got to go back to 145 pounds, man. You cannot 100%. be at 155. I mean, listen, I, I know Jai Herbert is officially one and three in the UFC, but to Jai Herbert's credit. He's had moments in all three or all four uh, UFC fights he's had, man. You know, he went out there, he dropped Ronaldo. And I mean, when you're making your UFC debut against a guy like Ronaldo, like, don't expect no adversity. Ronaldo is a guy with over 20 UFC fights, a guy that's been in the company for so damn long. At one point, even had a seven fight win streak. No shame in losing that. Moicano, you see what he's up to these days, man. I mean, no shame in that. Kama worthy, handled Kama worthy accordingly. And then comes out here as like a, what, plus 500 underdog, drops to Poria, knocks his mouthpiece out with, with a knee. He was doing his thing. It's just that, you know, there's a famous quote by Floyd Mayweather. It's, uh, you know, it's one thing to give it, but can you take it too? And, and that, that's the big issue there. Um, he, he couldn't take it too. But it also let me know that, some of these other guys, they're not going to lose their composure. Some of these other guys, you know, what I'm talking about, like when you drop the kid, they're not going to just go crazy. And uh, like, I feel like a guy like Movsar Evloya, if they were they were scheduled to fight at one point, like I still think that that's a different fight. Evloya ain't just going to go down on the first punch, and Evloya is actually going to push him and give him a real fight. And honestly. Up until last night, the one time that Taporia did go out the first round was against uh, Yusuf Zalala, former Bantamweight. Now, I bet on Taporia in that fight at Dog Odds. He significantly gassed in that third round. Now, you can make the excuse, was it short notice, this and that. Maybe, maybe not. But the, the bottom line is I still have questions about Taporia. And the reason I'm talking in these terms, and I do want to give him all the credit he deserved because, I mean, the combo he landed, beautiful. The adversity he overcame, beautiful. I mean, like I can't say enough good. It's just that when you're when you're referring to someone as a future top five, future top champion, which is what I've heard people regard him as, 
I need more questions answered. And I think that that fight with uh, Movsar Evloev is the one that's going to answer those questions. And I would still take the plus 110 odds on Evloev in a spot like that because I think that he can push him to a place that he's never been before. And so to Poria's credit, this isn't the first time that he's been dropped with a head kick and came back and won in a fight. Actually, his last fight before his UFC debut, same thing happened. He got dropped with a head kick, comes out there and viciously knocks the guy out after that. So you can't question the heart, the power, the skill, everything at Taporia is just too small for 55. He's got to get the weight cut shit in order for 45. If he does that, I think he's got a bright future. I just think he needs to truly be tested um, versus, you know, versus a top guy next. Now, I don't know if this is just my Canadian bias speaking, but I kind of want to see that Jordan fight again. I know it was a huge wide line and a lot of people were taking Tapori to steamroll him, but I think that'd be fun. Like uh, a guy in Jordan's a guy who maybe doesn't have the best striking defense, but he can take a punch. I think that could go later. Of course, the ground game, the takedown defense would be a bit different, but I would love to see a nice little fight between them, maybe more than others. But I, I think that that's definitely another stepping stone for him here. I know the Evloe fight's a completely different level. I think um, that's a really good one to watch. And I would be on the Evloe side with you as well, but I really want to see how he goes and faces a guy who who can take a shot and who can stick up with him because maybe I'm higher on Jordan than other people, but I think that'd be really fun to watch. Uh, what I love about Jordan is the incremental improvements every single time. What I love about Jordan is that this is a guy who hasn't been fighting easy competition. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Desmond Green on short notice up a weight class to start things off. You might, You guys might not remember the name Des Green, but let's just put it this way. That guy's a tough out. Goes in there against the Korean Superboy, I believe, overseas, knocks him out. And then uh, the next fight against Andre Feely. To fight Andre Feely, who's as seasoned and experienced as anyone in the weight class, a guy who's literally been in there with everybody, a guy who, even if he drops a lot of fights, he still gives you a really tough out. I mean, he went to a split decision with that kid. You know, obviously he had the draw with uh, the kid from down under, but you know what, man, the way he's been bouncing back, I see incremental improvements every single time. And we got to remember, Jordan's just a kid. What is he, 25, 26? You see what I'm saying? With kids like that, you're going to, and once he starts to feel like the octagon is his home and that's his, this is where he truly belongs, I think we are going to see some epic performances from him. So I would be down to see that match. Up, um, it'd be a very wide line. I still just really want to see this Evloya fight, like because I was me too. they were giving me plus 110 on Evloya, and I get it, like I could get plus 450 on Jordan, but like Evloya is a guy who I think, um, maybe the way people regard Taporia is like the way I regard Evloya, like um, back when he was fighting an M1, like I was calling him Mini Khabib. So to see what he's done in the octagon now, and back to what I was talking about earlier, um, these guys that can just relentlessly shoot takedown after takedown after takedown without getting discouraged. It's a style that's going to give so many people so many problems. And I want to see what those deep waters look like in a fight between Evloev and, and, and Taporia. So that's what I want to see. But, dude, obviously, would I not watch a Jordan versus Taporia fight? Are you fucking kidding me? That fight would be uh, bonkers while it lasts. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm down with either of those. So before I get you out of here, man, any other takeaways? Anything else you want to let the fans know? Uh, well, I just want to talk about that Shore fight real quick. I'm a big Jack Shore fan, so oh, to yeah. watch that go down, he was able to fight uh, through that. I think it was a, a great pace, a great fight. He was able to show a very diverse skill set as well, and we've known all these things, but what people were saying this week is he hasn't really shown that he's excelled over the top level of competition. Well, sometimes you don't have to. You've talked about it multiple times. It's You can never do anything right. Either you're a decision machine or you're a first-round finish guy. You No matter what, you can't do anything right, and I think that... Uh, whereas the line was absolutely steamrolled the way it was at like plus 150 and shore being just 
a guy who's just so smart that I don't know how much of a dog he should beat almost anybody here. Um, of course, it's saying a lot. I don't want to uh, jump ahead of myself here. But in a guy like Valiev, who is super, super tough in the division, he was able to show that he was smart enough to have a very diverse skill set and fight through a lot there. I think it was a great fight. I'm excited to see him get back in there. Um, Valiev as well, he's fought some some great guys. So I also think he has some good upside. But that was a really fun fight. And I was excited to hear how uh, what you thought of it. I mean, I am so impressed with this kid, Jack Tankshore. I mean, firstly, I know my boy Uncle Weezy's listening right now, and I want him to hear what I got to say. When you look at the numbers on a guy like Jack Tankshore, even coming into this fight, um, because I know he ate a couple more punches here, so the significant strikes absorbed went up, but still, I mean, he doubles basically what he lands to what he eats. The striking accuracy is there. The takedown defense is 84%. And to take it a step further, when he got taken down, you saw that get up. I mean, oh, yeah. and Timor Valiev wasn't there to just tell people about the time he fought in the UK against their top prospect. Uh, Timor Valiev was there to win that fight. And even when Timor Valiev got dropped in that third round, he's still standing up telling him, come on, kid, like bring it. So that was... Uh, the kind of fight Jack Shore needed to get to that next level because the criticism with him was always the level of competition. You know, it's easy to fucking, you know, that Ludovic Shalonian guy that he fought. Like, it's easy to go put a clinic on him, which, by the way, when Nathaniel Wood was supposed to fight the Ludovic guy, like, dude, that would have been, like, one of my biggest bets of all time. <laughs> like, that kid had no business in there. But Jack Shore treated him like he had no business in there. Jack Shore, he ran through his first couple, had, you know, a tough fight with Hunter Asher, but those are the kind of fights you need to grow and learn. I mean, we're talking about a kid. Now, he's, I think he's older than you, but um, we're talking about a kid that was born in 1995. I, I wouldn't know what the fuck it means to be born in 1995. And I think he's wise beyond his years. I think he's someone we need to look out for. And just the fact that he can overcome these bad spots. Like I said, that get-up game. When he got taken down against uh, Valiev, it's not like he like it's easy to just say, oh, he got taken down by Valiev and he got back up. But why don't we talk about the hectic pace they were pushing and then he got taken down by Valiev? None none of us would have held it against him if he took a little breather there. None of none of us would have held it against him if you said, you know what? Let's just conserve my energy. Let's stay down here. And then next round I'm gonna come out firing. But that's not what this guy did. He gets back up and gets back to work and then gets takedowns of his own. So I love everything about this kid, Jack Shore, in terms of a guy that's going to go out there and win fights. And I think the future is very bright. And had there been a fight of the night, I think this would have been one of the you know front runners, uh, one, one, one of the top candidates for it. No, it was it was super fun to watch and you hit it like his IQ is what makes him so good as well. And I love to see that. I'm very excited to see him in, back in there again. Absolutely. So, Gordo, anything else before I let you out? Uh, no, I, I really enjoyed watching the card, and thank you for having me on. Uh, I'm a DFS player at heart, too, so seeing all those uh, finishes really made me happy. So, uh, no, I appreciate you for having me on. If you guys want to check out my work, uh, Gordo Gambles on Twitter. I Thanks for having me once again, and uh, uh, happy you did well this weekend. Look forward to the next shoe bet. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, props for being a man of your word. Uh, we'll do it again. We'll Always. be in touch, man, and uh, best of luck to you, all right? Sounds good. Have a good one, man. You too. Now I'm going to bring in the man himself. It's funny. This is the first time I've ever gotten to talk to you face-to-face. Uh, -face. Uh, I think we might have done like a FaceTime call a while back, but this is the first time I get to talk to you on the show. My man, Uncle Weezy, someone I got a lot of respect for, someone who uh, is doing things you know, by the beat of his own drum, and that's the kind of shit I respect. There's so much fucking groupthink on MMA Twitter, and 
I know that you take the roads less traveled. I know you go by your own process and your own process only. And that's something I respect. And not to mention, you're a good dude. So, Uncle Wheezy, welcome to Half the Battle. Dude, the Half the Battle debut for Uncle Wheezy. I'm fired up, Dan. I've been watching you for such a long time, man. And I just wanted to say that when I first started doing videos, you sent me a DM. We had never talked, never met, nothing. And you just said, keep up the good work, young man. And that shit meant so much to me. Just wanted to say when you reached out to me that one time when I first started, it really was... uh, it was it was important to me. It, it felt great to hear that from somebody that I had so much respect for that was doing such great work in the space. So when you said, uh, you know, you could pop on for five minutes today, I had to jump at the opportunity, man. And plus, that card last night was so great, dude. It's just good to talk about it because um, since I started doing stat diggers on Sundays on Pub Sports Radio, you know, I've have to as soon as that card is over on Saturday, I'm like getting ready for the show on Sunday. I'm getting ready for next week's fights. I don't get a chance to kind of just sit and break down the fights from the night before, enjoy it, talk about what it means to the UFC, where we go forward from these fights. So it's good to just chop it up with you and talk about last night for once. Yeah, man, the pleasure is all mine. I meant everything I said. So you heard me talk about Aspinall. You heard me talk about Arnold Allen. And honestly, I can keep talking about those guys. So, But um, tell, tell me some of the ones that stood out to you, man. I mean, what was... Uh, you, I know you had the ass shaving on Sergey uh, Pavlovich, and he took care of business. You want to talk about that one first? Yeah, we could talk about that one. That is just one where sometimes you – so when I try to pick the ass shaving of the week, you know, there's like two things that I look for. You know, you got to look for it on both sides. You got to say, you know, you're picking one of the best fighters on the card, one of the most complete fighters on the card to dominate another fighter. And then you're also looking for a fighter – on the other side, the guy that's going to get their ass shaved, you know, to kind of have some holes in the places where the other fighter is going to be strong. You know, I was this close to making Corey McKenna the ass shaving of the week because if she fought smart, she could have taken that girl down whenever she wanted. She could have accrued top control whenever she wanted, and she could have just won minutes in banked rounds. And she didn't do that. She stood in front of her with a three and a half inch reach disadvantage with a striking disadvantage, with a volume disadvantage, she fought a really bad game plan. But the reason I didn't pick Corey instead of Sergey is because you look at a guy like Sergey, man, and he looks like he looks like a video game character. You know, I mean, like he's got that body that looks like he has to cut weight to make 265. He's got a head like an Easter Island statue. It seems like you would need a baseball bat, you know, in order to knock that guy down. And then on the other side, there's Shamil, who's 40. Coming off a punctured lung, you know he had dropped oh, really? out like five straight punctured fights. Lung? Punctured lung. He had, he dude before the Dawkins fight, he took two and a half years off. He had a right. punctured lung. He pulled out of four straight fights. You know, and it's a forty-year-old heavyweight that wasn't really known for being terribly explosive for the division in the first place. So, yeah, it just felt like if Pavlovich didn't slip on a banana peel, that he should be able to go out there, land a big shot, and finish the guy. And, that's exactly what happened. And when you say punctured lung, was it something that Curtis Blades did to him or, or was it something that happened like in training camp or what? It probably was something that happened in training camp because uh, because he had pulled out of fights, you know, that were, were fairly close to after the Blades fight, you know. So I think what happened was in training, something happened. You know, like even Gunnar Nelson, who we just saw last night, I mean, that dude had a very similar injury right up here with the rib. When he was uh, rolling around with that dude, the mountain from Game of Thrones, 
There's video of him, you know, grappling with that dude. And at one point, Gunner's on the bottom and he goes for an arm bar. And when he locks up the arm bar, he rolls to get on top. Um, and when he does that, the mound's like, no. And he pushes down on Gunner and he broke the rib right up here, the top rib. So that's why we didn't see Gunner Nelson for two and a half years. So usually those things, they happen in training camp, I guess. But, you know, it was just one of those things. He had a fighter that was 28, is a big time winner, uh, tons of power, actually has shown some decent cardio to go along with the size that he has. And then on the other side, he got a guy who's lost three in a row, coming off a punctured lung on the wrong side of 40. So it was just one of those ones. I'm really glad I didn't make it Corey McKenna because I lost about a little under a half unit yesterday. But if Corey McKenna gets that decision, I'm up four units. So she broke my heart, Dan. Yeah. Uh, see, I didn't put as much stock into him being 40 because, look, if he was a bantamweight, I would have. But for heavyweights, actually, I've seen a lot of career resurgences as they get older. Then my boy Randy Couture won the belt at like fucking 45 or some shit. And uh, you see like when Fabricio were doomed, went on his resurgence. It was towards, you know, late, th- late 30s, early 40s. So heavyweight, I don't put much stock into that. But those last few performances by Shamil, I put a lot of stock into that because he just hasn't been looking like the same guy. But you got to put it into context. I mean, we're talking about a guy in Shamil who knocked out Marcin Tybor, a guy who he fought Derek the Black Beast Lewis, won the first three rounds. Had that yeah. been a three-round fight, it was a 30-27, got stopped in the fourth. He's been in there with legit guys. And this kid, Sergey Pavlovich, obviously, you know, in the UFC, every fight's gone to the first round. But outside the UFC, I saw him go out there, win five-round decisions. Yeah. So, um, it, I was just wondering why he had been out so long. Was it a thing where, um, you know, not to make speculation, but I, while I while I'm about to make speculation, I mean, oh, don't speculate, dealing, Dan. It was, was visa he, issues. Was he dealing with a USADA thing? We didn't know about it. Was it a visa issue? Was it an injury? Like, so I didn't really know what to expect. But if he showed up like the last few guys we've seen, he was going to take care of business. That's exactly what he did. Big win by Sergey Pavlovich, uh, and I'm excited to see him. Uh, let, let me pull up the rankings real quick and. Let's see uh, who we should match him up with next because currently uh, Sergey Pavlovich is actually unranked. However, he just beat the number 10 guy. You know my theory. You beat the number 10 guy, you are the number 10 guy. Uh, so I think Marcin Tybora has got a fight coming up with Jerzino Rosenstrike. I mean, fuck it. Put him in there with the winner of Jerzino and Tybora. Put, it, put him in there with, uh, you know, Maybe even a Chris Dawkins. If a Chris Dawkins doesn't get it done this weekend against Blades, put him in there with Dawkins. So I'm saying Dawkins, Tybura, or Jerzino next for Sergey Pavlovich. Unless you just want to usher uh, Walt Harris out the rankings. But, like, I feel like can we give Walt Harris, like, some kind of, like, consolation prize, like a Stefan Struve, just to finally get him We got to bring Smolyakov out of retirement, Dan. We got to just bring him out of retirement, get his ass shaved one more time so that we can get Walt Harris a win. I'd love to see Walt Harris get a win. And Let him have his moment. He's losing, dude. He's so close to winning. I really like Walt Harris. It'd be nice to see him get a win. I'd love to see them bring some can out of retirement to, to chalk up a win for Walt, get him on a winning streak here. I know my boy um, Augusto Sakai has seen better days, but as of this current moment, he's ranked ahead of Sergey, so maybe put him in there with him, something like that. That'd be a good matchup, man. There's a lot of good matchups for Sergey, and I think Sergey's only 28, Dan. You know, so you can imagine that the sky is the limit for this kid because he's even shown some decent takedown defense on the regional scene as well. So um, if he can keep fights standing, he's just terrifying, a guy with that kind of strength and power. Absolutely. So, Uncle Weezy, I appreciate your time. Before I let you go, 
Any last takeaways? Anything that really stood out? Anything you got to get off your chest? Let me know, man. Man, Molly McCann is just awesome. She's so much fun to watch. She might not be a future champion, but I'll be tuning in every single time she fights. And when she fights in London, it's it's like 10 times better. What a performance by Molly McCann last night. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. Patty Pimblett is so much fun. Tom Aspinall just going out there and, I mean, just 10-8ing a, a, a grizzled veteran who's fought the best in Volkov. I can't wait to see what's next for Aspinall. I mean, dude, that card was so great from top to bottom. You talked a lot about Ilya Tapuria already. I can't wait for that dude's next fight. He's a mixture of power and grappling, which we haven't seen for a very long time. Uh, Paul Craig doing what Paul Craig does. Jack Shore, Muhammad Makaya. That was just a really fantastic card. I'm glad we got to talk about it for a little bit. I'm glad we got to do this face-to-face, Dan. It's been my pleasure. Oh, the pleasure's all mine. And next time, like, we'll do it for longer. I just got some guests waiting on me. Uh, this was like a last-minute impromptu stream, and I asked all my guests last minute. So much respect to all of them, yourself included, for stepping up. Uh, Uncle Weezy, it's been an absolute pleasure. And mark my words, we'll speak very soon, all right? Sounds good, man. Yeah, good luck to everybody else out there. I'm going to start getting ready for Stat Diggers tonight, man. You have a good one, Dan. Yes, sir. Take care, brother. Later. And now I'd like to bring in the man himself, the genius, Brett Apley. Uh, This is a guy who, I mean, I cannot say enough good things about. I can go on forever. Um, Brett, welcome to Half the Battle. What's going on, Dan? It's great to see you. And God, I mean, you and Uncle Wheezy, my my favorite people in the world. I uh, I wouldn't quite call myself a a genius, so to speak, but uh, it's great to talk to you. It's been a while, and I mean, God, what a fun card we had yesterday. Yeah, we really did, man. Um, that's nice that you're humble, but it's funny because uh, people don't really know your sense of humor, and I know you've been taking a lot of heat lately, which is actually kind of funny <laughs> to me um, because it's like if people really know, like – you have to really get to know Brett Apley and get to know his process and get to know also his sense of humor as well to really understand. And since I do understand, like I, I'm all in on Brett Apley, bro. Like I am a Brett Apley truther, like I said, man. So it's just great to have you on here. And dude, what are, what are some of your takeaways uh, from this card? Oh, I appreciate it. And <clears throat> yeah, I'm sure you're referencing the, uh, my Colby Covington, Peter Yan takes, and uh, I forget what was I taking shit for yesterday. Ilya, there's, there's so many things. Oh, and, and by yeah. the way, I tagged you in something. I don't know if you saw it um, because it was funny. Because you know how Gunnar Nelson has this atrocious uh, volume. Like we're talking yes. about to the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet Brett Apley knows this off the top of his head that the most strikes uh, Gunnar Nelson's ever landed in a fight was in a five round fight against Rick Story, where he landed 53 strikes. Is that not some of the most atrocious numbers you've ever seen? We're talking about Johnny Walker versus Tiago Santos numbers. Well, and it's funny just because clearly people look at fights diff- from a different lens than I do. So when you when I you tagged me yesterday and you were saying I forget who it was, but someone said you know Nelson striking so calculated, and I just don't I just don't look at it at the same. Like I look at it as a fighter who's pretty much incapable of winning clean rounds because he just doesn't throw enough volume, and that's one of the major factors that I use in my research volume production. And so a fighter like that, I mean, you know, Nelson was a heavy favorite over Sato cause he's still an elite grappler and Sato doesn't have fantastic takedown defense. And we know we saw the back control, but I mean, for as long as that fight played out on the feet or was expected to play out on the feet, there was no reason for me to be confident because 
as much as Nelson is calculated, he, he doesn't throw enough strikes. I think he landed 10 distance strikes in <laughs> seven minutes. I mean, that you just, it's, it's, it's a style that's very, very difficult to trust from a, a, a betting perspective, especially as a big favorite, especially, you know, um, against an opponent who could defend his takedowns, unlike Sato was able to. You know, I'm salivating at the thought of fading Gunny Nelson again, man. I mean, you're talking about, hey, look, you beat Sato. Congrats. But now let's let's go ahead and test you against one of our prospects, whether it's Shafkat Rachmanov. Let's get Miguel Baeza back on track. Um, any of these kids coming up, Hamza's beyond that, but still any of these guys coming up, like, because one thing I like to talk about, um, and I talk about it all the time, is how a lot of these guys are about to be ushered out the rankings. Like, for example, um, you look at the lightweight division. Number seven is Tony Ferguson. Number eight is Dan Hooker. Now, guys, all due respect to these guys who have you know, paid their dues, gave, given us blood, sweat, and tears on that canvas and just put on some of the best fights of all time. But if you mean to tell me that Tony Ferguson is going to keep that number seven spot when you got these killers like Rafael Fiziev, Armin Sarukian, uh, Mateus Gamrot, Brad Riddell. Like you're telling me these guys aren't about to usher them out and then to take it to the welterweight division. You're telling me that these guys like Michael Chiesa, Neil Magny, Jorge Masvidal, Jorge is ranked number seven. Wonderboy is ranked number six. Magny's ranked number nine. Chiesa number ten. You mean to tell me that these guys like Hamza Chimaev and Shafkat Rekmanov are not just about to come usher them out the rankings? So it's kind of beautiful, actually, what we're about to see with this, uh, you know, Lion King quote circle of life. Yeah, and it's interesting because Nelson was just one of a handful of fighters who I liked yesterday and, you know, I, I predicted to have success, but not fighters who going forward I'm going to be heavy on necessarily. Like Nelson was in a good spot against Sato, but he's definitely not a fighter who I would be trusting unless I am so certain that he's going to be able to land takedowns, take the back. He's just not aggressive enough. And similarly with fighters like Pimblet, with fighters like, to Toporia potentially, and and even further down the card, Mokayev. There's a lot of fighters here who they had great performances, and I, I think it's going to impact betting lines in the future. But um, just not fighters that I'm, I'm expecting to be trusting as they progress in their careers. Now, I want to talk to you about Arnold Allen because. Listen, I know you're a numbers guy, and you know I might be a bit of a numbers guy these days as well. And I got such a bone to pick with some of these numbers I see on Arnold Allen. Like, Brett, I don't believe for a second that he only landed 21 significant strikes against Sodiq Yusuf. Like, I watched that fight, and like I'm on the edge of my seat. That's like a high-level prospect fight. Like, you can't look me in the eye with a straight face and tell me he only landed 20, 21 significant strikes against Sodiq Yusuf. And then to take it a step further, I just feel this gets so underrated because you, you talk about what do you want to see in a fighter? Well, I know Brett wants to see a guy that can go three rounds and land over 100 significant strikes. He's done that. I know Brett wants to see a guy who can go out there, tap out legit grapplers, tap out Mads Burnell. I know Brett wants to see a guy that can go out there, knock out real strikers, drop Sodiq Youssef, uh, finish Dan Hooker. Like, And the guy is defensively responsible. Like, What is there not to like about Arnold Allen? That, that's what I want to know because I'm not buying these numbers. Well... <sighs> So that was one of the only fights I got wrong yesterday. Um, and I, I picked Hooker because I just, in the way that my process works, I thought Hooker had a pretty good chance to use his range to, he, he's just generally a little bit more active. 
than Allen. And it wasn't a fight where I was like, oh, Allen's very likely to knock Hooker out in the first round because outside of a durability angle, I just didn't see that outcome. I didn't see Allen having a ton of success on the ground. So I did pick Hooker. And I'm not totally sure what to think about that result. But as far as like the the metrics themselves, yeah, maybe maybe Allen did land more than 21 significant strikes, but you still have to look at it in the frame of whether it was 21 strikes in 15 minutes or 25 or 30 or 35 or 40 or four or 50. That's that's not enough. 50, 50 significant strikes in 15 minutes is not enough. So even if it's even if the 21 number against Yusuf wasn't accurate, it's still within a range that's too low for my liking. And when you look historically throughout Allen's career, I mean, 63 strikes in a decision. His obviously his standout performance against Melendez was 102 and then 37 against Rinaldi, 29 against Burnell, 32 against Amir Khani, 31 against Meza. So historically, he doesn't land tremendous volume. And that doesn't mean he's incapable of pushing the pace like we saw against Melendez and God. I mean, his first round against Hooker was the fastest he's ever fought. And if he could fight a little bit more aggressively, um, I think that would help him a tremendous amount in being able to edge out these competitive rounds going forward against legitimate competition. And so, I, and and I'm curious what you think about that performance against Hooker because um, I haven't talked to you about it, and I I'm just not so sure what to take away from it because I didn't think that it was very smart of hooker to pressure Allen like that in a, in a manner where he was so defensively vulnerable. Um, and I thought it was brilliant from Allen to, you know, respond by throwing a, a shit ton of strikes. And he kept up a pace that hooker could not keep up with, but like, I would have liked to see that fight play out a little, a little longer because I've, I would assume Allen would not have been able to keep up that pace in the, in round two and round three. And I would have liked to see ground exchanges. Um, and I just, I still have trouble identifying exactly where he's going to have major advantages over the top tier of this division. Like I still don't think he'll, he may, he may not be dominated on the ground, but I don't think he's going to easily out wrestle the top, the, you know, the, the ranked fighters of this division. I don't think he's easily going to be able to knock them out. And so ultimately, if we do see fights of his that progress into round two, progress into round three, and he fights with his historically low volume, it's still just going to be a concern for me against fighters who push a pace. So I was, I was really impressed with the few minutes that I saw from Allen, but it's just a tough performance for me to, you know, like change my, change my process or change my mind about him completely. Like, I'm curious what, like, what do you think his ceiling is in this division? Well, I mean, I said like over a year ago, I thought he was the dark horse of the division. I've been high on this kid since day one. What you got to understand is that if the openings aren't there, yeah, he's going to play it safe. But, but I, I think the thing that people aren't understanding here is that he didn't just come out here and bum rush hooker. That's not what happened. He caught hooker in exchange and you saw, a jolt go through hooker's body. He got rocked. And when Arnold Allen smells blood, he goes for it. Like even you go back to a fight with Jordan Rinaldi, 
yeah, he's playing it safe, picking him apart on the outside. But as soon as Ronaldo showed him any weakness, you saw the madman come out of Arnold Allen. And against Sodiq Youssef, um, I mean, you can't just trade recklessly with a guy with that Nigerian power. Like, you know what happens when Sodiq Youssef starts teeing off on these guys. But when he found his openings, man, I mean, dropping Sodiq like that twice. Um, but in this fight specifically, listen, I think that Dan Hooker put the pressure on him right away. And one thing about Dan Hooker, the, the reason I was so confident of the dog money on Arnold Allen is because look at Dan Hooker's history, man. He obs- now, I'm talking about from day one to day now. Day one, 2014, Maximo Blanco absorbs 132 significant strikes. Go up to the Edson Barboza fight, absorbs 126 significant strikes. Go up to the fight with Paul Felter. Paul Felder, excuse me, absorbs 110. Dustin Poirier, 153. How many times can you keep eating shot after shot after shot? I think that Dan Hooker is overconfident in his chin, and for good reason. I mean, to drop a guy like Dan Hooker, one doesn't simply do. It's just at some point with a with a style like that, when you're so confident, overconfident, and reliant on your ability to take a shot, like at some point that's going to wane. And the fact that Arnie did catch him with that beautiful straight left Right off the bat, Arnie saw blood and Arnie went after it. And people trying to say this some early stoppage. Firstly, there was zero, zero, zero protest from Dan Hooker. When that got stopped, Dan Hooker hands are on his knees, like, oh my God, holy shit, what the hell just happened? And people were trying to write off um Hooker's past fights at 45s. Dude, I made good money betting on fucking Jason Knight at dog odds against Hooker. I made good money on Yair against Hooker. And he left 145 for a reason. It's just that all the wars have caught up to you. When you've eaten that many significant strikes and you're that hittable, like you cannot be that hittable against a guy like Arnold Allen, who, yeah, he might play it safe if you play it safe. But if you take risks against him, he's going to find those openings. And he found his opening and he turned up on him and got him out of there. So uh, I just personally thought he was going to outclass him wherever the fight went. I didn't know if it was going to be a decision, a knockout, a sub. I was cool with whatever. I just thought that he's a step ahead. And this is his weight class. People talked about how shredded Hooker was. No one mentioned a word about the kind of shape that Allen was in, not to mention the energy difference. You saw when they were walking out, Hooker was kind of too calm, too mellow. Uh, Arnie's full of energy. And I just think that if you if you're a guy that relies on blocking punches with your face and you know you have so much pride in that Kiwi chin, Arnie's not the guy you want to test it against. And Arnie went out there and made a statement. And if more guys want to take more risks against Arnie, he's gonna have more performances like that. So I just love everything about this kid, man. Um, it, but it's all matchup dependent. You know, if someone's gonna come in here and actually fight him, he'll fight back. If these guys are broken before the fight even starts then, yeah, maybe he can just play it safe. But uh, you know a guy like Dan Hooker isn't about to take a knee for no one. And even in that ass whooping, he didn't go down. So respect to Hooker. But, man, I think that Arnie is a force to be reckoned with. I want to see that Calvin Cater fight. Yeah, and and I will say I don't really think the loss, like, had anything to do with the weight class. I I don't take – I'm not looking at his fights from five, six years ago at 145. I I thought he looked fine at 145. I thought he ate – I mean, he ate a ton of punches. He didn't get dropped. I thought he, I thought he looked fine. And to me, the, like the weight class, it wasn't a weight class issue. I would be fine seeing Dan Hooker at 145 again. The issue, like you mentioned, is that he's blocking punches with his face. And I mean, <laughs> back, back to the metrics, um, we, we talked about Arnold's 
you know, historic kind of lack of volume, but to his credit, there's a give and take. Cause I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. If you only land two strikes a minute, like Islam Makachev, if you're absorbing zero strikes a minute, that that's still okay. And Allen's absorbing like 2.2 strikes per minute with a 66% striking defense. So although he's not the most active fighter in the world, he's very defensively sound. And the concern with fighters like that sometimes is that it's like, okay, you can outland Jordan Rinaldi 40 to 20 and your numbers look great. Your defense looks great. What happens against a fighter who actually throws five significant strikes per minute, who's technical instead of the two, like Jordan Rinaldi does. And then they still keep their same low pace and their defense starts to decline where in this particular matchup, um, you know, once again, Allen got ahead on the numbers and, and he landed far more strikes than he absorbed. So it, it's still like the, the matchup in the stats sense in the stats sense played out very well for Allen. And on the flip side, Hooker, although he does land strikes at a higher rate historically, his defense has also been very, very poor. I mean, he's absorbing 4.8 strikes per minute with a 51% striking defense. So if you have a much worse, if you're worse at, absorbing strikes than your opponent and you're you're pressuring like that it's just i felt that it was a stylistic issue for hooker in hindsight like i thought potentially there are ways that hooker could have had more success in that fight but when you do have poor defense and you pressure someone like that aggressively who historically is better at landing strikes than they are at absorbing them like you're, you're going to get yourself into trouble and that's kind of been more of the issue throughout hooker's career so this isn't a case for me next time where i will like let's say hooker comes back at 145 i'm not going to be like oh my god he's at 145 again riding him off he looked so bad it's a case where i'm going to say well regardless of what weight class he's at i don't like the way he defends strikes and that that is the ultimate concern for me with hooker moving forward yeah, I mean, look, I still think you can go out there and beat a Bruce Leroy. It's just when you're talking about the Sodiques, the Arnold Allens, uh, I even think uh, Giga Chikadze is going to give him some problems if they fight. You know, guys like that, it's just you. at some point, man, when you eat, when you absorb over 100 significant strikes, like on multiple occasions, like that, you know, the chin's got to diminish, the confidence in the chin's got to diminish. And to his credit, he still didn't go down, which is fucking crazy, man. So what a stud, man. Um, and I'm just excited that Arnie... Finally, he needed this this fight right here to let people know that this ain't a joke that, you know, because, again, people don't. This is something I was talking about at the beginning of the show, and I'm glad you're here for this. You can never truly win with people with Aspinall. Oh, he doesn't go past the first round with with Allen. Oh, he just scrapes by decisions. It's like, OK, so like. You you have to be very careful in this game because it's very easy to form biases and like everyone does it myself included. Like there are fighters who you kind of take stands on and it's very easy to just write things off here and there. And you have to like actively figure out whether your bias is getting in the way of, of the analysis. So just as an example with Tom Aspinall, I, I did pick Tom Aspinall to win inside the distance, but I was really, really concerned about an extended fight. I was concerned about the cardio um, just because we haven't seen him. We haven't seen him in an extended fight. We haven't seen him in round three, four, five. And prior to the fight against Volkov, like 
I thought he had potential, but I just, it, it was kind of a real borderline thing. Like I really thought Volkov might've won that fight. Um, I, I just felt it was, I felt it was a difficult fight to, to predict, to make guesses on, but then, and, and even in the way Aspinall won, granted, we still didn't see an extended fight. I still have my concerns about him, but I just feel like the, it's just so clear now that like the rest of his game is just like a level ahead of probably the majority of the division. I mean, and I, I said it on Twitter, but like just a, a basic takedown game with grappling and athleticism can potentially beat every single fighter in this heavyweight division, like without exaggeration. And that's not to kind of discredit Aspinall, but it's, it's also not saying, you know, Aspinall is, is the greatest fighter to ever live. He's the greatest talent to ever <laughs> live. But it's just from what I see, like, even, even though there are concerns, just a, a basic, just basic good wrestling, good grappling with some athleticism, cardio, speed, boxing, the very basics. <laughs> I mean, Volkov is a, is a very, very skilled fighter and the, the, the fight wasn't competitive in the slightest. And I, I just don't see many or any fighters in the heavyweight division being able to being able to stop Aspinall. I mean, again, maybe in a, maybe in an extended fight, but at this point, I'm not sure who can even make it there. And so I, I would I would be favoring Aspinall over the vast, vast majority of the heavyweight division moving forward, if not everyone, if not literally everyone. Dude, I mean, I know Brett's a numbers guy. Look at these fucking numbers on Aspinall. And this and, and we have a five five sample size now. We don't just have, you know, one finish and we're gonna act crazy. Like, you know, because on sometimes on contender series, oh, 16 uh strikes landed, one strike absorbed. Oh my god. No, we're talking about five fights. 7.33 strikes landed per minute, 65% striking accuracy. 2.65 strikes absorbed per minute, 64% strike defense, 4.07 takedown average, 100% takedown accuracy, 100% takedown defense, sub averages too. I mean, like, what is there not to love about this? Then we look at the size, six foot five, 78 inch reach, 250 pounds. I mean, and the guy, the guy was born in 1993. He's just a kid. He's still growing into this weight class, man. Not growing size-wise, but just uh, mentally and the skills. And what I love about that performance, man, because, like, yeah, there's a question what happens if it goes past the first round. But I don't think he's like a guy that just goes balls to the wall to where you can make that automatic conclusion that he's going to gas. Like, I felt like he was in there pacing himself. But one thing I was talking about at the beginning of the show was how, like, Back in the day in the heavyweight division, you know, the faster dudes were like the smaller dudes, the Cain Velasquez is hashtag free Cain Velasquez. Like that was like the fast guy. But now you got these guys like Gon and Asma who are six foot fucking five. And they're the ones that are moving around with the, with the light footwork, the fast hands. Like it's truly beautiful to see. And in that uh, Volkov fight, I mean, you got to understand the regard I hold Volkov in. I mean, the guy is such a stud to, I get it was a three-minute and 45-second fight, but let's talk about what we saw in that fight. We saw fast hands. We saw pull counters. We saw leg kicks. We saw a body lock takedown. We saw ground and pound. And then he got back up from the takedown. And at that point, with a lot of fighters, you wonder, oh, shit, I had him down. I was elbowing him. I was opening a cut. 
Now are we going to start huffing and puffing? Now are we going to start getting discouraged? No. He slips a beautiful shot, times a blast double, goes out there and gets a straight arm lock. Like, I love everything about Tom Aspinall, and I've bet him in every single UFC fight pretty much. Um, so him and Arnold Allen stole the show for me. Those are my guys. I bet on them both at do- at dog odds, beat the line by closing mile. Well done. Um, I'm just stoked on both of them. So before I get you out of there, man, I know you were on Molly McCann. Beautiful job, man. I mean, beautiful job. Like, and I know you're not, um, what is it you like to talk about? Uh, you're, it's not, it's not results oriented, meaning that we don't need to talk about the beautiful KO, which, by the way, is knockout of the year. How about we talk about these fucking numbers? How about, how about we talk about the, the fact that she went out there and attempted over 174 significant strikes? The fight didn't even go all, all 15 minutes. How about we talk about the fact that she went two for two with takedowns? How about the fact how about we talk about the fact that she landed a disgusting knockdown slash knockout? I mean, I loved everything about Molly's performance. And when she was teeing off on her in the first round, it goes back to that front runner talk. Okay, she could have teed off on her. Luana stayed in there, and then it could have been like, all right, I'm discouraged. I didn't get her out of here. Now just come come tee off on me. I mean, we're talking about there was like a 10-inch reach disadvantage, Brett. And this is the second fight in a row where she's had a 10-inch reach disadvantage, and she went out there and took care of Biz. So. I was blown away by Molly McCann. I've always been a fan. I mean, I think I cashed like her at like plus 250 against Ariane Lipsky uh, a few years back. And <laughs> I, I like her a lot. She's really grown on me. And that was a, a star-making performance last night. Yeah, I like her a lot too. And I mean, it, it is nice to, to get predictions right now and again. And I just, in that fight, I when you look, th- when you look at McCann's career and, and just, like she has a pretty fair sample at this point. Every single time that she's lost, she's been taken down and dominated essentially by Jillian Robertson, by Tyler Santos, by Laura Procopio. Those are her three losses in the UFC. And granted, not every other fight was one-way traffic, but she was very, very competitive in those fights. So like for me, that was a case where first and foremost, I, I needed to figure out was she going to get, you know, grapple fucked, which, uh, is is all is always still somewhat of a concern because she she defends takedowns like thirty percent or something. Not by Luana, but then you you look throughout Luana's history, who she had never even attempted one single takedown in the UFC. So at the very least, I felt that okay, this is a, she's a little bit less likely to go for those takedowns than a fighter like Jillian Robertson, than a fighter like Tyler Santos. She hadn't even attempted one in the UFC yet. And then if you're looking at just in terms of the 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 striking exchanges the reach advantage is always i always want my fighters to have reach and volume that that would be ideal if they know how to use it and mccann just doesn't have that reach but she does have the volume and every single time she's fought to a decision that's outside of her three dominating wrestling losses she's just landed in an incredibly high number of strikes she presses forward her cardio has been great and most recently she fought jiyong kim who you know had a 10 inch reach advantage over her and kim i actually respect kim's boxing and kim was able to keep up a pace kim has good hands and kim fought very competitively and i just i didn't see that same level of boxing from carolina i didn't see that same level of output and I was just a little bit more confident in what McCann would bring to the table. And thankfully it worked out. And again, McCann is not a fighter who 
I, I will be betting every single time. I mean, it's a it's matchup dependent and it's number dependent. But yeah, I, I, I got her at minus 122 uh, against an opponent who I just didn't think could keep up with her on the feet or on the ground. It worked out. And McCann, I mean, McCann, I, I hate when fighters, because there's a lot of these fighters, there's a lot of very, very athletic, powerful, you know, they have great physical attributes. And they just don't fight optimally. They they stand back. They don't throw strikes. They don't land takedowns. Their defense sucks. Their cardio sucks. I really respect fighters who like can maximize their own performance. And McCann is one of those fighters. She's not or ever going to be the best wrestler in the world. But I mean, she came into the UFC as like a, a, a joke almost. You know, people thought she had no grappling. Um, there was like. I feel like there was like SPG ties, but um, every single time she fights, she tries incredibly hard. She presses forward. She attempts strikes at one of the highest rates in the entire division. She attempts takedowns at a very high rate. That is maximizing your abilities. And it it's paid off for her because she's won in the UFC a lot more times than she's lost. That's not a coincidence. That's that's a fighter who's putting everything they have behind their abilities and maximizing their chances to win every single time. And I still think she's going to fall short going forward against good wrestlers. But like, I really like her and I really respect her because you know what you're going to get from her every single time. Yes, sir. Brett Apley, listen, me and you can sit here and talk for the next two hours. I got my last guest waiting for me. Um, dude, you know it's always a pleasure. Let's do a full podcast soon. Um, yep, everybody make sure you oh, – go ahead, what? Oh, I said, yep, sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody follow my boy Brett Apley. Like, I don't throw around the word genius often, and I know, uh, you know he's you know a humble guy, but like – I truly respect this guy's opinion and I like him even more as a person. Brett, uh, you are the fucking man. Always love talking fights with you because you're, you know, we, me and you are very stubborn guys. And, you know, I'm not going to sway your opinion and you're not going to sway my opinion, but we can also have a respectful conversation. We can debate, we can do it all. And we're still going to be boys at the end of the day, man. So much love, much respect. Keep doing you, man. And uh, I cannot wait to speak to you again. Yep. Likewise, bro. Thanks for having me on. It's great talking to you and, and keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen you've been crushing it. You've been absolutely crushing it yourself. So I love it. Great to see it. And yeah, let's definitely do a, a longer podcast coming up soon. Um, yeah. Talk soon, bro. Peace. I'd love to. Take care, buddy. And last but not least, we saved the best for last. My boy, the one and only Ben the Bane Davis. Ben, what the fuck is up, my man? Oh, it is just a beautiful Sunday morning here in Tempe, Arizona. <laughs> the sun's out, the birds are chirping, and some combat sports action went down yesterday. You can hear the voice is kind of gone, Dan. I got into it. I got rowdy and um, just beautiful. I mean, this is something that I think I expressed on the TL, something I really said to the people that I was watching it with. That was, without a doubt, one of the best UFC events I think I've watched in a very, very long time. I mean, every fight delivered. The narratives that were laid, I mean, improved greatly. Patty's stock grows um, in just such a great way. And by a method that I kind of didn't think he was going to go to, leveraging that grappling shows that he is willing to be holistic with his skill set and not only headhunt, not only search for those big highlight reel knockout finishes. He's 
still rational <laughs> as a fighter and not digging into, um, you know, all, all of that hype and the showmanship. Dan, how about you, man? How you doing? Doing fucking amazing. I mean, me and you broke down the last card together. You know we cashed that dog money on Aspinall. You know we cashed that dog money on Dan Hooker. You know we cashed that parlay with Patty Pimblett and Kevin Holland. So a clean sweep for me. I'm feeling great. We've I've already talked about the Aspinall and the Allen mm -hmm. fights. I had nauseum, and honestly, I can talk about that for the next three hours. I'm so we'll stoked mix it up. on we'll mix both it of those up. guys. But let's get to Patty. Let's get to yeah. Patty. <clears throat> I mean, after that stinker that Gunnar Nelson put on and – Again, dominant performance, man. I'm not taking anything away from it. It's just that when we talk about one of the most epic cards of the year, if we can just omit that Gunny Nelson yeah. fight, then it is the most epic fight card of the year. But then again, you know, some people need a smoke break. Some people need a bathroom break. Some people need to go uh, to Wingstop and pick up them wings. And you know what I'm saying? So, hey, hey, uh, I'm, I'm like, Gunner, thank you so much for giving me that 15-minute break. Right. But I will say the one sad moment for me in that one is Gunner Nelson not finishing by submission, as I think you might have seen. It destroyed every single parlay that I had, except for one, except for the nine-leg parlay that would have landed five bucks to 280. I cashed out before the co-main event because I was nervous. Um, but yeah, Gunner Nelson effectively stole $500 from me <laughs> by not finishing but you know i look back on it as a, as a guy who's growing in the betting realm dan i think i see where my lessons should be learned i don't know why i bet on a guy that was coming off of a big layoff who is notoriously low volume in every aspect of the game yes he has 12 wins by submission of his 17 now 18 overall um but I shouldn't have gone for the prop, I don't think. I think that was my big lesson learned. I shouldn't have seen the, the minus odds on a, a method of finish. I should have just picked him at the money line, and that would have saved me a whole heck of a lot of trouble and heartache. But lesson learned, we move onwards and upwards. But I do agree. Gunnar Nelson, that was a interesting performance against a guy I think he should have finished, but dominant regardless. I mean, hometown hero in some shape, SBG, second best or third best at the gym. It is good to see him get a win. As much as I dislike the performance, I'm happy that he's in the win column. Now, listen, I would never tell anyone how to bet, but I can only tell you how I bet. And I'm a money line guy. Uh, yeah. and, and reason being, I mean, listen to this, dude. I, I, I think we might have talked about this on the last show or not, I but like, so. um, okay, so I bet Francis and Ganu plus 130 against Cyril Gan. Everybody's messaging me like, dude, what the fuck? Why don't you just take the Francis by KO prop? Do you know how fucking pissed I would have been if I bet right. Francis by KO and not Francis straight? So that's what I'm trying to say. Like, you don't, don't yeah. no, no need to get cute, man. I mean, Aspinall was dog money. That's I don't need to go Aspinall by KO or sub or what. <laughs> He's dog money. He's the guy I'm picking out right. That's it. Uh, Arnold Allen, the guy I'm picking out, right? It's dog money. That's it. I, there's no need to get cute with it. Like uh, it's, it's that kiss method. Keep it simple, stupid. My buddy Ian Parker. Um, I was testing him several weeks ago. Our buddy. Our buddy. You know him too. Ian's fantastic. Ian is Ian's the man. Um, and here's what he told me. He was like, "Don't be a hero." He's like, don't be a hero. Just take the value where you can get it. You just said it perfectly. If you're picking the guy, if he's who you want, and you're, you, you can get him at plus odds. There really isn't much of a reason, I don't think, to get into the um, nitty-gritty of props and methods. I mean, yeah, I agree. No need to get cute. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I mean, listen, Damn, put it on a T-shirt. Put it on a T-shirt right there. I mean, you might hit one long shot here and there, just like you might hit a long shot 10-team parlay here and there. But, like, yeah. if long-term you want to be on the, end, on the right side of the coin, I mean, you got to take these undervalued spots on straight bets, man. I mean, that's just how I play. You know, if you want to yeah. be a D-Gen and have fun and throw away money, okay, do you. From time from time to time, you know, you'll cash big. But, like, 
I want to consistently like just rack up profit, uh, incremental profit and be at the end, be um, on the right side of the, the coin long term, you know, throughout a long sample size. You know, I do have like, a, I think, a seven or eight year betting record, like, and it's not by accident, man. Um, and I've don't, I, not every week's going to be a winning week. You know, yeah. you take your ups and downs like a man, but you stick by your process. So, you know, I, uh Allen and Aspinall at dog odds. Like, is, 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 is this some kind? Is this some kind of sick <laughs> joke? But let's talk about Patty Pimblett, man. Um, because look, what an electric walkout that he had. I know that that was the talk of the town. But in addition to that, the kind of pressure this kid had on on him. I know that he had the smile, and I know you know scouses don't get knocked out, and I know all that <laughs> stuff. But like, my boy went out there and you know ate a hard shot in the first minute, just like he did his last fight overcame it pulled guard got his bearings back and then when it was his turn to do his uh work got that nice little judo throw got on top of the kid transitioned to the back and got the mata leon rear naked choke and uh that was all she wrote man so another first round finish for pimblet his stock is rising i think he had like a million followers on instagram until he got blocked uh hence why he called out mark zuckerberg um but uh, this kid is a star in the making, and I would not be surprised to see him headline a fight night uh, here in the, you know, in the coming uh, here in the fuck. I'm, I'm still next year or so. Yeah, I mean, look, I could clearly see within the next recent eight future, to, eight to nine right? months. I mean, eight to nine months. Why would you not give Pimblet that main event showcase? And I would suggest that the Ilya Taporia matchup narrative wise plot wise is right there i mean there's so much story they're scrapping at the hotel Ilya called him out post fight after his win grant i don't know how much you dug into that toporia fight in the last hour 27 but boy that was a crazy one um but i mean that would make a lot of sense granted Tapori is a big matchup. I mean, that kid's got hands for days. Not untouchable, though. I mean, if Jai Herbert can crack you in that method, I think Patty could also have a lot of success standing. So if the UFC put that one together, I'd be like, wow, they've got a lot of balls. Um, but look, Jim Miller, I feel like, would be another great matchup for Patty Pimblett. Veteran, battle-tested, also on a streak of his own. Um I think Pimblet versus Miller would be a solid one. I thought I saw that suggested on Twitter. I won't I won't claim to have come up with that myself, but I was like, that one is is such a good matchup that I feel they can make. Yeah, you could do that. It's just about you know, let's let this kid develop, like right. really start to feel like the octagon is his home. Like, I think you know the Jared Gordon fight might have kind of been a little too much too soon. Um, possibly, you never know. Possibly, but I like the heart on this kid patty pimblet you know that you know he might leave his chin up in the air you might get cracked early every single fight but the, <laughs> but the dude's a real fighter the dude's got balls i like listen i know you don't want to kill off a prospect but I, I do like people talking about the terrence mckinney fight you know because i think terrence puts it on him early yeah. but if, if patty's still there late first round early second round patty ain't the kind of guy you want to start to gas out and go kamikaze on man so I like that. I just want to see what direction they want to go with it, man. If they want to uh, headline a fight night with him, if they want to put him, you know, first fight of a pay-per-view. Um, but either way, we got a star in the making in Patty Pimblet, man. And that's the beauty of what Saturday night brought for the baddie is any direction you take it is profitable. Any direction you put him in is something that will uh, just, I mean, all tides are going to rise when Patty Pimblet is around. Um, I, I, I will say his 
I was critical. I was very critical, maybe unfairly so, about his character and uh, that persona and the, the the arrogance kind of that he brings. Arrogance, confidence, interchangeable to some shape. Uh, but he seemed really down to earth in the post fight. I don't know if you watched the the Karen Bryant Dean Thomas segment with himself and Molly McCann, but I mean, he just seemed like a really down to earth guy and and was laughing with Bisping and having a lot of fun. And um, you know, I think that that moment for me more so than that emphatic uh, highlight real victory is like okay, he's he's. He's, I wasn't sold on the person behind the fighting necessarily, but now I can get behind Patty a bit more and sort of be like less of a hater. <laughs> I feel you, man. There's no reason to be a hater on a guy like that, man. I mean, right. Uh, he seems like a nice kid to me. He seems genuine. He's trying to be himself. And those are the kind of things I like. It's the guys that, you know, try to be something they're not. And that's what I don't like. And shout out to Makwan Amirkani, man, because yeah. like that was a fight where a lot of pressure was on both guys, man. Grundy, obviously, you know, Shout out to him and his family. But listen, there's things more important than fighting. At the end of the day, he gets to go home and see his dad tonight. You know, so it's like his dad's not going to think any less of him because he lost that fight. And for those that don't know, his dad's struggling with, you know, a terminal uh, illness. So all prayers or whatever you believe in, good vibes, positivity, send that all his way, man. And I know he really wanted to go out there and show out in front of his crowd, but sometimes it just doesn't go out. It just, it just doesn't go like that. The MMA is a brutal sport. Shot in, was overconfident and yeah. leaving his neck out there and against a guy like Makwan who can snatch up that anaconda. That is his signature move. Zero strikes were landed on either side in that <laughs> fight, man. Um, it was just one takedown and the fight was over shortly after. But usually when I talk about one takedown and the fight is over shortly after, I talk about you land the takedown, you get on top of you the guy, sub yeah. submit or pound him out. Here it was dove head first into an anaconda choke while Makwan was fresh. And, you know, that, that was all she wrote, uh, Bane. It was just that overzealousness of it. I think that the pressure got to Grundy a little bit. I think he wanted to perform um, and, and show up. Again, he's coming off a bit of a layoff, a two-fight skid, uh, but just a very talented guy. And I think that with all of the context of his of his familial issues, it it made him put himself in a bad spot early. And you're right, Makwan is is still a very dangerous guy, especially within that first round. I think the last five or six fights of his – a lot of them haven't gone his way, um, and some of them he really hasn't had a lot of success in. But it should not be underplayed that Mr. Finland has a lot of tools and has a lot of finishes, most specifically within the submission realm. And it's it's for me, it's just heartbreaking. Like I really want a Grundy to win, um, and I know that the UFC did as well. I mean, shit, look at all of the pieces of content that they had produced and put together, promoting and trying to push Mike into this spotlight and, and get this big win for himself, his father. Father. And it really is just, uh, um, I mean, God, I had to, I had to sort of stand up and just, I was like, fuck, that is just bad thinking about it. But, um, you know, you're right. At the end of the day, he still got his dad. They went home and, and they got to spend time together. And that is really what it's about. And um, I'm sure it would have been maybe better for Grundy had he gotten that win, <laughs> maybe more of a celebratory evening. But, you know, these, these fighters are, are, are people first and family is, family is the most important thing at the end of the day, right, Dan? 100%, 100% live to fight another day. So before I let you go, man, obviously Mokayev did his thing. I thought Jack Shore and Timor Valley have put on one hell of a fight. But the guy I got to talk about before we get out of here is the one and only Paul Craig. I mean, how many <laughs> fucking times can he do this, man? He's <laughs> on by Ankaleve. Goes out there, submits him with two seconds left in the fight. Yeah. Jamal Hill wanted to uh, test the waters. Big mistake. And 
Jamal Hill, the way he handled that L, man. I mean, props to him. He's the only guy that didn't tap. He's the only guy that let his arm break. But you know how uh, high I am on Jamal Hill, man. I think that he's the future of the division. And then Nikita Krilov pounding on him. Uh, Looks like he's about to have him out a couple shots. And then Triangle Choke City out of nowhere. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like these guys keep thinking they can go down on the ground with Paul Craig. And they keep having early success. And then out of nowhere a limb is snatched, a triangle choke is locked on. Like this guy, Paul Craig, is the most opportunistic submission artist in the history of the UFC light heavyweight division. Um, facts being, he has the most submissions in the UFC light heavyweight division, has surpassed Ovin St. Peru and uh, Misha Sirkunov. Wow. I mean, what and John is- Jones. That's <laughs> <laughs> what more is there to say? Craig is just a fucking specimen, and and uh, seeing him win is always a, a phenomenal experience because he puts so much energy into that buildup. He gets the Scotland on the face. He's roaring. You can tell how much passion that this guy has. And look, this is something that I was saying the entire week. I was like, Craig by sub at plus 350, you are fucking me in the ass. That's a ridiculously <laughs> inflated line against Krillov. Five career submission loss, now six career so losses by sub. I was like, there's no way um, that this is the, it's set this way. The odds makers are clearly missing something. And um, I was scared. <laughs> I was very nervous. Some of those shots you could tell, I mean, they were just pushing his head into the canvas. I was like, Craig, how are you not gone? Um, and, and, he, and he locks it up. And I thought Krylo was going to maybe defend a bit more. I thought Krylo was going to have a bit more defense, maybe trying to do a, a slam or something. But that was just out in five seconds as you had Krylo tapping and i mean i will say in terms of locks that i had i, I know we just talked about props i know we just talked about them <laughs> but this is an exception this is the exception i was like paul craig by sub give me that any day of the week um and gosh i mean what is that uh is, is it two in a row three in a row for him what's he at right now is that a bounce back win uh, I, I don't even know what his record is right now you talking about paul mm-hmm. no he's on a streak he's streak? on a He's on a big streak. I mean, finish Jamal Hill, finish Shogun, um, finish Nikita Krilov. Uh, he hasn't lost since 2019. Jeez, Craig contender season. Let's go. I, I mean, so that's an interesting spot because you look at Ankalaev at nine. You look at uh, Hill at, I believe, eight. Or, or not, just Ankalaev at nine. Ankalaev at four. Hill at uh, about nine. What would you do with Craig moving forward? Now, I think you said Anthony Smith in Glasgow, Scotland. That is a very intriguing matchup that I'd be interested in. Yeah, let's see. Okay, so basically, let's let's take it fight by fight. So Glover is booked against against Jiri Prohaska. Uh, Jan Blahovich is allegedly going to fight Alexander Rakic. Magomed Ankalaev is free. Anthony Smith is free. Tiago Santos is free, but, you know, you know. Uh, Dominic Reyes is free. Volkan Uzdemir is free. Nikita, he just beat. Jamal, he just beat. So those are the guys. I think they're going to either match Jamal up with Volkan or with um, With uh, Magomed and Khalif. I wouldn't mind seeing Jamal usher out Dominic Reyes out the rankings either. So he called out Anthony Smith. Maybe he gets his wish, but I also... I'm under the inclination that Anthony Smith is at that point in his career where he only wants to kind of fight guys ranked ahead of him. So honestly, this is one where I'm not sure. This is one where let's see what the matchmakers decide and let's take it from there. But all I know is that I will not be uh, missing the next Paul Craig fight or any (laughs) Paul Craig fight.
Hey, man, we're back at the Bear Jew. Big moving forward, and I'll lay money on that subline. I don't even care what the fuck it is. I'm still tossing some coin down on it moving forward. But uh, overall, yeah, I just loved yesterday's card, man. I was from top to bottom thoroughly enjoyed. I will say I was driving. I got I got out of Tempe late uh, when I was heading out, and so I missed Muhammad Makai just detonating Cody Durden with that beautiful – is a triangle, right? Or no, it was a, he locked it up, and then he got kind of slammed. It, it was a flying knee, flying and then he got a guillotine. Okay, bet. I mean, lived up to it. We were questioning, right? We were kind of questioning whether or not he was going to get past a battle-tested UFC guy. Um, granted, Jordan's not really the, the best, uh, but he did in, in, in such fashion. Kid's got a bright future. I mean, shit. Manel Cop, I don't know what Manel's doing, but I, I'm not, I don't want to fast-track McIve in any way, shape, or form, but he spent so much time in the amateur season. I think that it's well-deserved that a guy like Muhammad, with as much hype as he has, let's get him going as quick as we can. Yeah, I suggested the Tagir Ulan-Bekov fight. Um, there's, so, there's so many options. So, listen, man, I got to get you out of here. I, I, I got to get myself out of here. I'd love to talk for the next two hours about this fucking amazing card and also just keep talking about how much I love Aspinall <laughs> and Arnold Allen. But uh, we're going to let you go. Hey, man, great job on the preview show. Great job on After the Battle over here, man. Uh, much love. Follow my boy at Ben the Bane. Davis this time we did not fuck it up and uh, <laughs> my man uh, any message for the fans before we get out of here I just want to say uh, ESFL 141 is going down I'm hopping back in the commentary booth shortly yes. at ESFL gaming um, on Twitch YouTube please follow over we're trying to make that play by play happen this year and it's all starts in situations like this <laughs> yes sir yes sir thank you very much Bane uh, we'll speak soon for sure for sure and uh, best of luck in uh, the show tonight thanks Dan have a good one you as well, buddy. All right. So, everybody, thank you all so much. I hope you guys really enjoy this special edition of After the Battle on Half the Battle for UFC London. I had an absolute blast. Huge thanks to all my guests. Huge thanks to all the fans that tune in. Guys, do me a huge favor. Smash that like button for me. Hit that subscribe button for me. Let's grow the channel and like, comment, share, retweet, everything. Let's let's get the word out there if you were as thoroughly entertained as I was by my guest tonight. Um, so thank you guys again. Uh, Tuesday, I'll be back. Uh, looks like we're going to have Leroy Murphy uh, on the show Tuesday. And then next Thursday, I'm going to announce it right now, I'm going to be breaking down the upcoming card with the man himself, Nick Kalikas. So I'm looking forward to that. Thank you all so much again. Smash the like button for me. Subscribe to Half the Battle. Everywhere podcasts are found. And until the next time, let's cash these bets. <laughs>